Greetings, everyone, to a special report. A crap from the 80s. Special report. I'm here to talk about one of my favorite directors of the late 80s and early 90s. Somebody who doesn't get a lot of attention. He's very underrated. Uh, he has continued to work, but there's a cutoff point for his work and my love of his work. Um, and that would be about 1994. But his name is Anthony Hickox. This beautiful man right here. So Anthony Hickox uh, is responsible for what I consider some very unique and cool horror films. Now, truth be told, he's done many sequels, but um, uh, he's responsible for a couple of very cool standalone films um, that uh, burst through the magic of the 1980s. And I'm going to talk about those right now. Again, this is only going from 1988 to about 1994. Um, but the reason I wanted to talk to him, and for a while I would always tell people, you know, when they would say, hey, who are your favorite directors? You know, I'd name off a couple of people that everybody knows. Um, but I would always stick Anthony Hickox in there. And for the most part, nobody knew who the hell I was talking about. Unless they were like a super horror nerd. Um, but, uh, so, you'll, you'll certainly know the films. That's for certain. The reason I like Anthony Hickox is because he, much like... Much like a handful of those horror guys, um, the, the real horror heroes like John Carpenter and Sam Raimi and George Romero, people like that, they, you know their films. They have a stamp. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of horror directors that are willy-nilly and it could be any which way but loose and who cares, whoever directed so-and-so. But those you know. And for Anthony Hickox, for those films, for me, I know. He has a, a certain uniqueness to the way he shoots. Um, much like Sam Raimi, he uses the camera. Uh, and I would, you know, I would say he, he of course, was influenced <laughs> by Raimi's work. Um, but it's different. It still is different. It... Uh, I don't know. It's very, I think it's very cool and he does this stuff. He uses these techniques with clearly very low budgets. Um, but he still makes them, he, tr he tries very hard to make them look as slick and professional as possible. Like a real film as possible. Um, turns out his father was a uh, director and has made some pretty famous films as well. Um, but Anthony, at least his early career, was Mr. Horror. And that's the stuff that I gravitated towards. Now, from like 94 on, he did like action stuff and a couple thrillers, but like really like stuff that just, it didn't appeal to me. Um, and I lost, I, you know, it, it was one of those like, oh man, Anthony, come back to me. 
when the directors that you love making the movies that you love decide to switch it up a bit and then they go do a different genre uh, and stick at that genre for a little while and it just doesn't doesn't hit well um, you want them to come back much like Peter Jackson you know and while I love Lord of the Rings um, it's time for him to come back to his splatter movies and splatter comedies and, and do the really gritty, low-budget, goofy, horror shit. That stuff is magic. Uh, so, you guys will know his first film. It was in 1988. And I'm talking about Waxwork. Imagine, if you will, an exhibit in fear. It looks a little spooky, boys. You think we should do this? A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. Ooh, scary. Your fascination with ghosts, monsters, and the many unearthly elements of the supernatural. Welcome to the Waxwork. Look. Now this is killer. Enjoy. Wow, the glasses from Nutty Zombies from Hell. Lose yourself in it. Do you like a closer look? Really? But whatever you do, don't step over the rope. I'm hypnotized. Hey, not so fast. Ah! Relax! A cup of coffee, we'll talk about it. I want out of here, Sarah. I'm serious. Getting scared? Will I get a pretty woman in my illusion? No. No, I get a dork. It isn't real! Hello! What the hell did you kill him for? He'd have been perfect! Strong Pictures welcomes you into a new dimension in terror. Waxwork. It appealed to me, especially being a uh, up-and-coming young filmmaker as well. Uh, he likes to use a lot of the same people, so the actors, th these actors, will carry on throughout these films, um, playing different characters, and it's always fun to. You know, count how many times he's used so and so and whatnot. Um, so this has Deborah Foreman, Zach Galligan from Gremlins fame, uh, and it's you know it's a it's a classic <laughs> horror tale about a waxwork that comes to life and and kills kills the people that step into the particular waxwork and it goes into this waxworky dimensional world and. Whatever that waxwork is, that is where they step into that that the setting. It's very fun, very cool, uh, great practical effects. Um, and he also did waxwork too, which was about four years later. Um, but I mean, you know, you crazy horror fans, you know, you know this, you know waxwork, you know how magical it is, and. Um, for me, what a kick-ass debut for a, a young up-and-coming filmmaker to make wax work. 
one can only dream. But this is this is the uh, special uh, Vestron video collector's edition. Um, you know, little Chris Seaver seeing waxwork. You know, probably '89, uh, probably for the first time. Unless I did rent it right away, you could get the unrated version when that was first available for reservation, as I always reserved my VHS as it was coming out. Uh, but little Chris Seaver back then. 11-year-old little Chris Seaver <laughs> could only dream about seeing the behind-the-scenes and, 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 you know, special videos of the, of the cast and crew talking about the film and sp the special effects and whatnot. And now in this modern age, with the DVDs and the blues and rays and all that stuff, you get all those special delicious features, and, it, and it's quite magical. So With part two as well, to boot. You know, and I do like part two. I do like part two, but it's 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 not as good as part one. And much like a lot of the uh, '80s and '90s sequels back then, um, f for horror in particular, they always did the sequel a little bit goofier than the original. Um, also, they tried to up everything while still essentially doing the same thing. <laughs> um, and they do that with part two. And actually, there's a lot of weird shit in part two where it just feels like they're basically just stepping into every movie. Uh, they go into Night of the Living Dead, they go into Alien, they go into all these other movies, but their versions, and uh, it kind of takes away from the, the waxworky part. It's more about interdimensional traveling and all that stuff so but still fun anyway uh loads of of atmosphere and and beautiful camera work and set design and all that stuff waxwork in particular it feels kind of like a, a modern uh hammer film if if hammer was doing hammer in the 80s um which, but it, you know so we got that going for us uh, then in 1989, 90, he did a movie called Sundown. I don't own it. Um, it's fine. I used to have it. Uh, and then it's just one of those movies where do I, do I see myself re-watching it every year? Uh, and I don't. Ain't that a shame. And it's also one of those movies where I kept watching it to make sure that I didn't like it. <laughs> um, and that one's fine. I mean, you know, it's got some fun performances. Bruce Campbell is, is pretty great in it. Um, and Bruce Campbell also shows up in Waxwork, too. <laughs> it's, it's a vampire western. Um, reoccurring characters. Dana Ashbrook from... Waxwork and um, Twin Peaks appears in Sundown as well. So I'm not really going to talk too much about that. I don't own it anymore. Uh, I believe it was Anchor Bay that put out a special edition DVD of that. There isn't a Blu-ray of that. Um, and I believe it's out of print for the DVD. So if you have that, folks, keep that DVD. You never know if you're going to get any any upgrade on that movie if you happen to like sundown but i don't uh and then in uh, 1991 he made waxwork 2 
uh, I actually remember um, there was an MTV, this was something that MTV did quite often in the late 80s and early 90s, is that they would do half-hour uh, movie specials, and they were geared more towards horror movies, which was very cool. So there would be this half-hour making of for these films, and they did one of Waxwork 2, which was very weird. Um, I remember they did one of Brain Scan. They did one, they did uh, Nightmare 3 and 4. Um, but yeah, so Waxwork 2, I talked about it. Um, 1992, he jumped into the Hellraiser franchise and gave us Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. There's lots of people that don't like this film. Especially, I guess, if you put it up to 1 and 2. Because 1 and 2 uh, very clearly had Clive Barker's hands deep inside the womb. Uh, obviously, with 1, he wrote and directed 1. He had a lot to do with 2, but Tony Randall directed 2. But he was right there. And it still feels like Clive, his handprints all over part 2. And then you get to three, and it feels like a straight-up, glossy, <laughs> early 90s horror movie with, you know, crazy special effects. And they were trying, you know, everybody, because of Terminator 2 and, and Jurassic Park and all those things, everybody was trying to throw in shitty CG. <laughs> Not shitty. It just happened to be shitty, <laughs> probably because they didn't have enough money or the artists weren't quite as skilled as, say, ILM or something like that. So there are some, some cruddy CG moments in this film, but it is super fun, super cheesy, and it looks spectacular on Blu-ray. This also came out with an unrated uh, VHS when it was released. Um, you know, you metal fans will certainly love the Motorhead Hellraiser song that was accompanying the film. And they made a video, just super cheesy. I did see Hellraiser 3 in theaters at a theater that I've talked about before in Elmira, New York at the Arnett Mall. And this theater was so dope because it played some of the most obscure and weirdest horror shit like, I mean, I saw Leprechaun 2 there. I saw Brain Scan. I saw Children of the Corn 2 there. So many of those Trimark and live releases. Um, and Early Dimension. And I saw Hellraiser 3. I really dig it. Again, he utilizes... This is probably when he really kicks in full force with some of the crazy shit he does with the cameras and the shots, uh, the set pieces that he, he, he concocts. It's... Some pretty neat stuff. Um, silly Cenobites in this one. You got the CD one. <laughs> CDs, folks. CDs, whew, huge in the early 90s. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hellraiser 3. Come on, guys. You know it. You either love it or you hate it. I happen to really love it. It's not my favorite of the Hellraisers, but I really dig it. And he did a phenomenal job. And this is the he. This is another one where he starts to use the same people. I don't know how many fans out there know the name Paula Marshall, but she's quite fetching 
and she happens to be in three of his films consecutively. And she's gorgeous. She's magical. And she talks about it on the Blu-ray for the Arrow release that you can get. The Arrow box set. It's an amazing box set. Who would have thunk it, folks? A 2K scan, 2K restoration of Hellraiser 3. Man, we're living in the golden age. Us nerds, we have no right to complain. Bunch of babies. All right. Then, after Hellraiser 3, he jumped into the made-for-cable movie. Launching right in with a, <laughs> an HBO made-for-cable horror film. Now, truth be told, I don't know... I know of one other person. <laughs> I'm sure there's more. But I, but I know of one other person, Mr. Ryan Turek of Blumhouse fame. Us horror fans knew him as Ryan Rotten. He is also a fan of this film. Um, it's called Full Eclipse. From the director of Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, comes Mario Van Peebles of New Jack City and Posse, Patsy Kensett of Lethal Weapon 2, and Bruce Payne of Passenger 57 in Full Eclipse. The streets have never been so scary. Made for HBO in 19... When was this? 1993. 1993. Um, because of my love of Anthony Hickox, I was one of those... I reserved the VHS as soon as I knew it was coming out. Um, and it just... It worked for me. It's extremely cheesy. It's basically Mario Van Peebles as a... a kick-ass action werewolf cop <laughs> um it's it's like a kind of a cross between the x-men and lethal weapon and werewolves that's that's really how i can describe it <laughs> um and while it it does feel like an anthony hickox film because of all the crazy camera angles and set pieces and whatnot it also feels like a john woo film because there is like excessive amounts of slow motion shooting in various ways of shooting in slow motion whether it be flipping and jumping and falling and you know trapezing and <laughs> pummel horsing and what what whatever any any conceivable way of doing it in slow motion and shooting while you're doing it, falling or whatever. Uh, that is used excessively. So, so is the, the gratuitous amounts of blood that is coming out of the gun wounds, the gunshots, the squibs, uh, just ridiculous amounts. But that's all happening in full eclipse. Mario Van Peebles and Paula Marshall. Give it a look, guys. I actually sh recently, maybe about a year and a half ago, I showed my cousin. He was n none too pleased. <laughs> yeah, but there is no other release other than the VHS and this beautiful old school DVD from 2001. 
with such special features as interactive menus, chapter selection, <laughs> and cast and crew bios. Don't you love it? Don't remember folks when DVDs came out and those were the special features? The menus, the bios. <laughs> Um, all right, now, okay, so now we're getting to his last, his last of the, the horror, and quite possibly could be my favorite Anthony Hickox film, other than Waxwork. It's pretty close. It's neck and neck. Um, but this is a sequel, and while the first one is great, directed by Steve Miner, in 1988, but did not come out until 1989, and in some places, 1990. But the sequel came out in 1993, and I'm talking, I'm talking, of course, about Warlock, the Armageddon. His coming was foretold. Warlock is here. The son of Satan has returned to fulfill his destiny. What does that command? There are five stones like the one she wears. We must possess them all. He has six days to seek out the stones of power. Who the hell are you? I'm interested in this stone. It's not for sale. I never said anything about buying it. And hold destruction in the palm of his hand. Tomorrow, everything is going to be destroyed. I've come for the stone. A chosen few stand between him and his quest. Who am I? The second warrior. Get the stone as far away as possible. They must destroy him. Is that the best you can do? Before he destroys creation. Welcome to the other side of reality. But to conquer the warlock. Our betrayals part us. They must face the ultimate fear. <laughs> Julian Sands, it is time. I welcome my lord! Warlock, the Armageddon. This is my VHS. This is my VHS, folks. This is my VHS from Video Connection in Wellsville, New York from 1993, which the owners lovingly gave to me <laughs> because I probably rented it so many times. Um, so this is the, the VHS, the DVD. Oof, oof, look at this. This is one of those ones where you had to Turn it, turn it over if, if there happened to be any special features or anything like that. Which, of course, there's cast and crew bio. <laughs> oh, it's, it's digitally mastered with 2.0 Dolby. It says it's widescreen, but I'm here to tell you it ain't. It is not. That is pan and scan, brothers. Pan and scan. Uh, and then we, ooh, look at here. The laser disc. Mmm, smells like Julian Sands. Mmm. 
it smells warlockian. And then of course, the wonderful Vestron video Blu-ray collection of the Warlock films. Now he only did part two, but God damn, I love this movie. Pure cheese, full, full crazy Anthony Hickok's camera action, great gore, great performances all around. Like every Anthony Hickox film, which I didn't mention, but I'm mentioning now, there's weird random dubbing throughout all of his movies because he must use some actors who can't quite speak English properly. <laughs> there's English-speaking actors. There's famous people within his films, but there's also these random people where he is excessively dubbing. Um, and, I, and I don't know quite why. But that just adds to the charm of an Anthony Hickox film. Um, so yeah, so this was, this release, this Blu-ray release, was the first time I had ever seen both Warlock and Warlock 2 in widescreen. That's not true. I lie. I did see Warlock Armageddon at the Arnett Mall Theater. <laughs> That's another one of those weird, random, like, holy shit, I saw this in the theater. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy shit. Also, Paula Marshall is in this. Mm. Looking closer and closer and more mysteriously like Jennifer Connelly, every movie. Um, but I don't know, man. This also has some really shitty CGI, but it just works. It's part of the charm. Um, and I give the 90s a lot of shit, but... Some of these early 90s horror movies, very particular, the low-budget stuff. I'm not talking the scream shit, because I don't dig that. Any, I don't dig any of that stuff. But the really, like, low-budget, garbagey shit that was coming out in the early 90s. Mm. Chef kiss, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, again, you know, there's people who straight up think that this shit is garbage. <laughs> So you might you might be watching this video and then and, and you say to yourself, holy shit, Anthony Hickox made some garbage, some straight up shit. I'm turning this video off. But there's some of you that might be like, hmm, wow, you know, I really I really should look more into this Anthony Hickox guy. He he did make some pretty good stuff. Give it give it a give it a watch again. Watch his his camera work. Uh watch what he's doing with the set pieces and and, and he's you know, he's got something going on up there. Unfortunately, the horror train stopped, as I said, in 1994, and he started making low-budget action movies and thrillers and things like that that just did not appeal to me. So, but from 88 to 93, couldn't be beat. I mean, look at that. <laughs> That's a streak. So I hope I informed some of you folks about the magic, the wonder, the passion of Sir Anthony Hickox and the films that he's made. And, and, and like I said, I'm sure some of those are your favorites as well. And if you haven't, give him a watch. Give him a look. The guy deserves more attention, more credit for what he did. And uh, I personally will always hold a special place in my heart and my satchel for Sir Anthony Hickox and, the, and these special films. So thank you for this erotic and highly 
highly dubious episode of a Crep from the 80s special report. I bid you... Bye.